Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. We're back. We are back. <laughs> and on today's show, we really should be careful what we wish for, Mish, because Scott Disick and Kourtney Kardashian may well be getting back together. And no, 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 that is really not what we want anymore. Plus, YouTube's biggest female star, Jenna Marbles, says she is quitting vlogging and YouTube after past racist videos. So have we finally entered an era where celebrities are starting to de-platform themselves? But first, Michelle, how was your break? Break, she says. (laughs) Yeah, look, I feel like we do this to ourselves a lot. Agree or disagree that we choose to go on a break and then somehow in the lead up to said break, we decide to jam pack it with work anyway. Yeah, it's so masochistic and also very annoying to even complain about it when it was our own doing anyway. Why did we do that? We decided for anyone who missed the memo and how dare you not follow us on Instagram or anywhere else that we are on the internet, we're at Shameless Podcast while I can get a plug in. We decided to record our audiobook in the middle week of break. And at the time, this is the funny thing, on the Sunday night, I was at my sister Claire's house and I said to her, oh, it'll be nothing. It's going to be so easy. It's not even work. She kind of rolled her eyes and was like, I can't wait to speak to you about this tomorrow at like 5 30 p.m on your drive home fuck recording an audiobook is not that easy it's not easy at all I'm glad we didn't think about it much but we did record that and it is available for pre-order at audible right now just for another shameless plug I promise you this won't be an episode of plugs but it was an interesting way to spend the break I think a lot of small business owners though would feel that I think it's stupid of us to pretend that you can take a proper break but it's the price you pay for having a job you love so Mm. I don't mind it at all what was your highlight low light what did you learn from your break highlight low light I mean low light would be right now I mean it's our first day back but oh my god I'm like suffering with crippling cramps and when we went to a cafe before to order breakfast it just came out of my mouth I hadn't eaten enough of my breakfast yet and I felt self-conscious because I didn't want the cafe to think that I didn't enjoy their food so this male waiter came up and was like are you okay and I was like I have really bad period cramps and just like rambled it out to him and he was like oh that's way too much information and then we started talking about tampons to our fucking waiter at the cafe that was a low light that's making change making periods normal it's great (sighs) I feel really embarrassed about that still my highlight of my break would be Dalesford 
I know uh, that we were both there at the same time and I crashed your very romantic couples retreat with Ollie. But Mitch and I had a really good time in Dalesford. Yeah, couldn't be a bigger fan of Dalesford. I feel like we're becoming tourism ambassadors for all areas of Australia that we managed to visit. Every time we come back from somewhere, we're like, that's the best place ever. It was so funny though, because when I was in Dalesford, or actually before I went to Dalesford, Ollie kept asking me where you guys were staying. And I was like, I don't know. And he thought I was joking, but I was like, he was like, well, why don't you ask them? And I was like, I'm not asking them that. Like, you know what's funny about you and I haven't talked about this. Mitch kept saying, let's message Ollie and Zara. And I was like, no, let's not message oh, Ollie and Zara. Ollie thought I was joking. Like he thought I was being a bit dramatic. And I was like, no, I have no fucking idea where they're staying. We get there and he's like, all right, so are we messaging them? And I was like, no. <laughs> and he's like, you really don't know where they are. And I was like, I wouldn't have a clue where they are right now. We're in the same tiny town. But I was like, I couldn't tell you what area of the town. I don't know what they're doing. And we didn't really speak about it till we it's, left. It's not that I don't love you. Like obviously I crashed your trip by going to the exact same place as you on the exact same dates. And it's not that I didn't want to see you and Ollie. But it's but a I holiday. See you all the time. And you just end up talking about work anyway because you're bound by work. And the only thing I wanted to avoid in those three days <laughs> was work. And you are a walking embodiment of my job. I'm sorry. You are a constant reminder of work 100%. Now. I don't, don't love you though. We speak to yeah, each other all day, every day. But just being <laughs> surrounded by you 24-7. We're like sisters. We're sisters who need a break from each other I, every now and then. I think the boy always thought it was unnecessarily harsh but they don't get it they don't get it at all otherwise any recommendations from your break yes love life on stands we've both watched this we talked about it over the break if you haven't caught this one it's on stands with anna kendrick love anna kendrick she's awesome she was in that movie with about incest did you ever see that oh i haven't seen it but now i sense that that was a spoiler oh fuck I'm not going to tell you. The, I'm not going to say the name now. Yeah, don't. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I've just spoiled the incest movie for you. That is the spoiler. Oh well, too late now. So what a shame. This is a you podcast know, you, and we can't edit. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? No, because I don't want to edit this bit, or I don't want Annabelle to. I should say, Annabelle, you're listening to this as you edit. Just beep out the second actress's <laughs> name so you're not even sure who it is. So you can't Google those two people and spoil it. Done. Oh, I've saved you. I'm so sorry. Anyway, Love Life on Stan is so good. It's ten episodes. It follows one woman's journey through life and all of the big love stories that she goes through it has a bit of a twist in the final episode did you see the twist coming there was a twist well the twist was that you I don't want to give away two spoilers in the space of one minute the twist was that it wouldn't end up how you would think that's exactly how I thought it was going to end up oh come on be better at reading the tv series it is very good it's it's not good in the sense that it's particularly highbrow agree with really? you. You are such a snob when it comes to I'm the show. I'm not a snob because I watched it, but it was pretty dumb. <laughs> no, this, no, I it was thought beautiful. it was, it was beautifully done and I thought it was quite clever. There okay. you go, listeners. We disagree. So have a watch of it. Is it lowbrow or highbrow? I'm going to say it's a middlebrow TV show. I'm going to say it's lowbrow, but no less beautiful for it. How was your break? Tell me about your last three weeks. Yeah, so Dagglesford was awesome. The food's great. <laughs> go there if you live in Victoria. Actually, no, don't go at the moment because we're not supposed to travel. But when everything opens back up and you can travel within the state, please go to Dalesford. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. I also watched Love Life. I started this show very recently, so it's a very early wreck. Dare I say it's an <laughs> early wreck? <laughs> these are so risky. I've done these so many times. I did it with a book last year and I didn't tell anyone and then I didn't like the book in the end. I'm like, You can't recommend something before you finish it unless you... <laughs> 
preface it with saying I'm recommending it before I've really gotten into it. Go I on. would love people to message us on Instagram or call the hotline if you've watched Famous in Love on Stan. It is um, got Bella Thorne at the helm. <laughs> it is some of the work. Here I go. I sound like the biggest snob. I'm not. I'm not an acting <laughs> snob. I don't give a shit if the acting's bad. In fact, you'll often watch something and be like, "The acting was terrible in that," and I was like, "Oh, was it? I believed it." This is one. This is terrible acting, but it's about like these young Hollywood stars who are like starring on this movie and it's just so good so far. Two episodes in. Coming from the woman who once said that she would be the next Margot Robbie if she had taken up acting classes. I have to say after the audiobook as well, I was like, why didn't I do drama at school? I know we've come back at this. I know we've come back to this. You're not that good at drama. I might be. I've never done it. Okay. We sat in that audiobook recording together. You're good, but it's not like you're blow my life away amazing I want to be given like a scene like I want to be given some lines to perform a scene because I actually think I would be okay at it but alas it should be a bit more (laughs) modest for our first you know 10 minutes back the other thing I read of course Michelle was our June book club pick girl woman other I know we will talk about this on our episode that's dropping on Saturday so I won't say too much but all I will say is if you have not read this book read this book. It's so good. It'll take you a while to get into this book. Full stops you will miss very, very quickly. But once you get into the pace and the tempo of it, it is such a poetic, gorgeous read. Loved it. Yeah. And I think that's something that we should say as well in that I know when you open a book, it can look intimidating if there is no punctuation or something like that. And I often... I'm very intimidated by prize-winning books because I often feel like they're kind of out of my reach or... Too artsy. They're too artsy and Mm. I don't actually genuinely feel smart enough to read them. But with a book like this, I promise you, you will find your rhythm. Like you will absolutely find your rhythm and it is so beautifully written and so beautifully put together. It is one of my favourite reads in such a long time. Before we get onto the show, Mish, one more thing and that is thank you so much to everyone for buying our charity merch. Yeah, this was awesome. I think we announced this just before we went on break that of course, we had a new drop of charity merch coming. We do this with Sweater Club every few months or a couple times a year. This season's drop is a jumper that has Shameless across the middle. The proceeds that we're donating to charity, which is $10 per jumper, it's our entire cut Zara. We don't take a cent from our charity merch jumpers, is being split between two charities that we absolutely adore. The first one is Safe Steps, which helps protect women from domestic violence and their children. The second is Naja, which is the North Australian Aboriginal Justice Agency. We are so excited. So far, we have raised $8,700. We will have another merch drop coming next week for you. We are going to crack that 10K mark. We are absolutely hell-bent on it. So thank you for supporting that. Yes, and please keep buying them if you can, because not only do you get the world's warmest, best home jumper ever. It's a bloody good jumper. Like, I know it's our jumper, but let me tell you. My favourite yet. My housemate's jumper arrived at the end of last week, actually, and she opened it up in front of me and she did that thing where you stick your hand inside it and feel like how Mm. warm it is. And she's like, this is so warm. So not only is it a really, really beautiful jumper, as Mish says, it creates change by donating money. So please help us do that by continuing to buy them. The next drop will be next Monday. Absolutely. Should we get into today's first segment? Yes. What I think we should start by doing today, Michelle, is, you know, flip back a couple of weeks. Do I care about Scott Disick's relationships? I do. Part of me, a little tiny part of me, wants Scott Disick and, and Courtney Kardashian, Kardashian to get, get back, back together. together. <laughs> oh, my God. I think there are so many people who would be like, yeah. Like, they're such a troubled couple. And when they were together, it was quite a toxic dynamic basically 99% of the time. 
Do I want it to come back a little bit maybe? I don't know what I think. I, I think I'm the same as you. So that was us a few weeks ago before we went on break. And listeners, let me tell you, mine and I'm guessing your Zara perspective on this kerfuffle of Scott and Courtney has changed quite a bit in the last three weeks because someone named Michelle Elizabeth Andrews, yes, I just addressed myself in third person, let's scoot right past that, decided to watch watch seven seasons back to back of keeping up with the Kardashians over the break. And here are we pretending we worked through the whole thing, you bloody fraud. It actually took me about a week. I'm not even going to lie. Those episodes are about 20 minutes each. And what I do with every episode is I just watch the juicy stuff. Like when there's filler and there's a lot of filler in keeping what up with Kardashians. For example, um, Kendall being told she can't buy a puppy so she needs to like – make pocket money herself so she like clearly has this scripted storyline of doing paid gigs around the house I skip right past that I don't give a fuck about Kendall's pocket money yeah cool but then I scoot right past onto you know scoot scoot scoot, onto Courtney and Scott having relationship drama which I learned was basically the premise of the first seven seasons of Keeping Up with the Kardashians and I absolutely upon reflection do not want these two to get back together but it seems that's exactly what they're going to be doing yeah so headlines have emerged in the last kind of week or so with rumours that now that Scott Disick and Sophia Ritchie aren't together anymore that Scott Disick and Kourtney Kardashian could get back together. Now the reason for the rumours, Michelle of course, is because she was wearing a shirt and it was his. Now I'd love to read you a brilliant line from a publication <laughs> I will not name because it's one of the- Name s- them. No, I, I don't want to because name it's a them. silly line. Give us give us one clue. What's the first letter in the um, name? I don't actually think you'll get it. M. Marie Claire? No. Oh. Anyway. Okay. Sorry. The line was, Courtney posts... Also, well done on Marie, not Marie. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working so hard on that behind the scenes. Annabelle, do you mind playing this song under this? No. Marie, not Marie, <laughs> while I speak. Anyway. Courtney posted a photo to her social media account where she's seen holding a baby lamb on a farm. But that's not what caught fans' attention. The reality star was rocking baggy blue jeans and a red, white and blue flannel shirt. That's not what caught the fans' attention, the baby fucking lamb. It was a shirt that was owned by Scott Disick and everyone's saying if she's wearing his clothes, they must be back together. Which, maybe this is a long bow to draw, I think is bang on. You don't wear a man's clothing as a lady unless he is your partner. See, no, because I was away with my friends last weekend and I wore one of my friend's jumpers, not my boyfriend's. But hang on, we're forgetting that this is the father of her three children. They were together for nine That's years. That's even more reason why it wouldn't be an issue to just steal really? their clothes. Yes. But mm, I don't know. I know that a lot of the listeners, I would argue probably 98%, would be listening to me going, you're clutching at straws here. This is not a sign. I I think it's absolutely a sign. These two have always done this like to and fro, back and forth, will they, won't they? And I think they're communicating to us via the channel of Instagram that they are getting back together. One thing I will say is I think the, you know, the entire premise of our show is just clutching at straws. So I don't (laughs) think people will be surprised. Plus or minus 10%. Plus or minus 10%. The second thing I would say is they're obviously not getting back together because 
We have been a little bit dry recently for Kardashian content, if not for Kylie Jenner lying about her billionaire status to Forbes, <laughs> but that's for another time. They want us to think this, and I wonder why. I would love to know why they want us to think this narrative. Perhaps there's not much going on. Or perhaps it's true. Perhaps Scott Disick <laughs> has fucked off Sophia Ritchie and is trying to kind of like direct and distract from the narrative. Yeah, maybe. But look, they have been papped as well. And I know that the Kardashians uh, set up pap shots. These were not set up pap shots. You know how I know that, Zara? Because they weren't flattering pap shots. And I think that's the telltale sign of whether or not the Kardashians have set them up. Scott and Courtney were papped going to no together they've been papped going to lunches and dinners looking very much like an item I just think it's back on an and item. I'm devastated an item. an item is so one of those tabloid phrases that no one actually uses in real life an item Mitch and Michelle you know the item the item <laughs> Mitch and Michelle but I do want to talk to you about the fact that it's terrible that they came back together because we thought it was amazing and we did say in our quick and dirty segment before we went on break that it didn't matter that they were in a toxic relationship <laughs> and that we really did want it and we didn't know why in fairness often we record when we might be tired it might be you know a weekend we might be hungover who knows so sometimes we say silly things. I do think there is something interesting here because I remember when you were midway watching all your Kardashian episode binge watching, you said to me, Scott Disick is the worst. And I googled, is Scott Disick the worst? And I wanted to know, am I am I naive to say it's not a great start if someone Googled like, is Michelle Andrews the worst? An article <laughs> after article comes up listing like your top 13 worst moments. Like, fuck, do I have a top 13 worst moments or would you reckon I have like five or six? Like how many top worst moments would you have in your lifetime? 13 is a lot. But let me tell you, they're all pretty bad. Like when you watch Keeping Up With The Kardashians in the earlier seasons, it's kind of baffling how much of a bad person Scott Disick appears to be. If you're not familiar with his rap sheet or if you haven't watched the show let me tell you some of the moments I have witnessed in the first seven seasons there was the time that he hear this shoved a $100 bill in a waiter's mouth because said waiter cut him off from alcohol and refused to bring him a vodka as in got the waiter to shut up by shoving the $100 bill of money in his mouth yeah it's a bit fucked isn't it that happened on television like, who, like ugh, how does that happen? There was that time in 2007 when he had a woman in his phone who was not Kourtney Kardashian that he had named my wife <laughs> and was texting her things like, I loved looking in your eyes last night over dinner. And Kourtney Kardashian hacked his phone and found that, which I don't endorse, but also like if you've got suspicions, there's a reason why, I would say. How terrible must you be as a cheater to think <laughs> that's your way of getting out of it? Like that, that's your strategy. My wife. There was the other time that Courtney called him. He went to New York. He picked up the phone in New York and then hung up because a woman was in his bed and began speaking while he was on the phone to Courtney. So he was basically caught in the act cheating. She took him back very soon after. He called her fat after she gave birth to their second child because she didn't lose weight or bounce back, and I'm putting that in inverted commas because what a misogynistic term, as quickly as he would have liked, as she did with the first pregnancy. He is just the absolute worst person, and I do not want him with Kourtney Kardashian on any level. So if they get back together, I'm, it's your fault. Yeah, You put this out into – you manifested them getting back together and now you want to take it back. So you can't manifest and then retract. I would say we both did. Yeah, I know we said it at the same time. I also think it's a very, very bad sign that I came across an article that was titled Scott versus Tristan, who's the worst Kardashian boyfriend? Because <laughs> we know that third trimester Tristan's <laughs> the trimester not the best. Tristan. 
It made me think that my favourite Disick is just obviously Mason Disick. And for those who don't remember, Mason Disick tried to become famous over both Instagram and TikTok by like spilling the most ridiculous tea. And I don't say that term lightly, if at all, about the Jenner family. So I do love myself and Mason Disick even though he's the product of Scott. Before we move on to more important topics, I do want to give one small shout out to Chris Humphreys in season seven. He wears a fedora and I took photos on my phone last night of him hugging Chris Jenner and I wanted to show you today because I just thought like, what an <laughs> iconic moment. That's such, a, that's such a 2005 fedora. No, well, he was wearing that in like 2012. What? That's like a 2011, 2012 shot of Chris Humphreys hugging Chris Jenner in a fedora. I will put this on our Instagram page for anyone wondering Doesn't- because- like, thank God that this show has delivered me such gems. Is that a little feather in the corner? That is a feather. <laughs> <laughs> and like a belt around the fedora. Yeah, it's not a good – I mean, I actually – all not all fedoras are made equal, I must say. I love myself a good fedora, but not all fedoras are made equal. That's on the bottom of fedoras for mine. You know, it's a pretty bad hierarchy when you have Chris Humphreys coming out on top as well. Exactly. One thing I did want to say is like, why <laughs> will this segment, a segment ever be wrapped? No. <laughs> well, I was actually going to wrap it with something that wasn't that stupid, but sure. <laughs> While you wanted to wrap – Wrap it with a fedora. I wanted to wrap it with the question of why do we blindly egg these relationships on? I don't get it. I don't understand myself. Do you think it's the fault of film and Hollywood that we're told when we're younger that there's only really one person for you and that's it and real romance is kind of finding your way back to them? I do think that's it. Yeah, perhaps. I also think we're far more forgiving of men who do gross things in the public eye than we are of women. I think if Kourtney Kardashian was a famous celebrity, a famous male celebrity's partner, and she was filmed shoving money into the mouth of someone, we would not romanticise that male celebrity getting back with her. But I think we definitely romanticise the bad boy image. I think Scott Disick is very sarcastic it's and like dry. A charming and bad boy, right? Yeah, he's like a charming idiot and he's kind of hopeless the way people talk about him. And his humour just seems to cut through in keeping up with the Kardashians. And it's an interesting reality that we found ourselves three weeks ago wanting that guy <laughs> to end up with the woman that he called fat after having his second child. Yeah, maybe we should have just finished on the fedora. <laughs> Thank you, next bitch. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories of the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Zara Ellis, and I'm saying that with an E because apparently my Melbourne accent makes it sound like an A for Alice McDonald. What do you have for me? I have quite a few stories for you, five to be exact. The first story, Michelle. Michelle, Michelle. Oh, God. Thank God you're here. Season one is making its grand return. That is from Nova. And thank God you're here is not making your comeback, but its episodes are going to live on 10 play. Yeah, I mean, last year we did kind of petition for it to come back properly. I'm more than happy for it to return with existing episodes. I would have preferred new episodes, but I won't be picky. One thing I will raise with you, Zara, is that last year when I went through my thank God you're here phase, let's call it an addiction because that's precisely what it was, I noticed just how politically incorrect so many of those skits would now be deemed. And I am very curious as to why it's just season one and whether or not Channel 10 will allow every episode to go up onto 10 play because I imagine based on what I've seen, some would cause controversy for the actors and the comedians involved. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if every single episode or every skit from every episode went up because I'm the same as you. I've only caught a couple of scenes since I used to watch it when I was a kid 
And some of it wouldn't fly today and it shouldn't fly today. But I don't think, especially in a climate like this one, that Channel 10 wouldn't have thought that through and would only be kind of putting the stuff up that is just genuinely quite funny. But we will see. Are you going to watch it from start to end? I will. I will watch it. I'm so excited. I mean, as I said last year, it's one of my favourite comedy shows of all time. I think it's an absolutely brilliant production. It has left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. I think the addiction kind of fell away when I saw one episode where a male comedian who I have previously liked and thought really good things of grabbed the breast of a female skit actor, like reached across and squeezed her boob on set. And I just think that is such abhorrent behaviour and I can't believe we allowed that to happen on Australian television and that's made me see him in a really different light to improvise by groping someone on television. I, I don't know. It's just put it's a sour not, taste in my mouth. Yeah, it's a pretty fucking terrible fallback, isn't it, when you can't find a way to make people laugh. <laughs> Sexual harassment. When you can't make people laugh. Yeah, exactly right. Story number two, meet Louis Spencer, Princess Diana's extremely handsome nephew who requires our immediate attention. That is from Now to Love. Mish, you threw this one in. And you don't even like the robes that much. I read it as Lewis. Am I wrong? Is it Louis automatically? It's Louis. Is it? Can anyone be Lewis? Interesting. I mean, <laughs> when you ask a question that absolute, of course, there's someone whose name spelled L O U I S that could be pronounced Lewis. But my, my understanding is that it's Louis. Okay, Louis Spencer. Sorry, I put this in because basically. Long story short, he's a super hot brother of Lady Kitty Spencer, whose name you might recognise because Lady Kitty Spencer is a member of the royal family. Don't ask me how. I don't particularly care. She's like a distant relative. No. Oh, my gosh. They are Kitty and Louis. I knew you shouldn't have been the one describing this story. (laughs) Diana. Princess Diana. Yeah. So, yes, that was in the heading. (laughs) They are the nieces and nephew of Princess Diana. Oh, my God. It was literally in the (laughs) headline. Yeah, it was in the headline. So, their father was Princess Diana's brother. I'm so sorry. Anyway, I don't particularly care of like the lineage going on here. All I care about is that Lady Kitty Spencer is extremely attractive, as is Louis Spencer slash Louis Spencer. Louis Spencer. I did find it interesting, Mish. The reason that he's on people's radar at the moment is because Tatler, which is like a British kind of royally gossipy, kind of Vanity Fair type-esque publication, wrote a list of eligible bachelors and he was at the top, but they called him Viscount Althorpe. Viscount. I know. I don't even know what any of this is. Anyway, their explanation, of course, is that he is the heir to the Althorpe estate and will eventually become Earl. That's all French to me. What does that mean? I don't know what any of that means. Earl. All I know about Earl is it's the name of my favourite sandwich bar. Earl. (laughs) Maybe we should put up, for anyone wondering, this is a very visual topic for an audio medium. When we put up the photo of Chris Humphrey's fedora on our Instagram page, we'll do a swipe across to Louis Spencer. Louis Spencer, yeah. Do you want an Earl sandwich in there too because of your favourite sandwich mouth? (laughs) If anyone does go to Earl, I also highly recommend the potato gems, which are just normal potato gems. But what what a thought to pair sandwiches and focaccias with potato gems. Just innovative. Story number three, the beautiful moment Matildas find out they're co-hosting 2023 Women's World Cup. That is from Perth now. Not a celebrity story, but hell, it's women's sport and we want to talk about it. We are getting the Women's World Cup. When this headline says co-hosting, what does that mean? So co-hosting with New Zealand. So Australia and New Zealand together did a joint pitch for the 2023 World Cup. They obviously won that pitch. So it'll be happening, I think, about mid-July to mid-August 2023. 
there was this beautiful, beautiful video that was circulating that showed, it was about one o'clock in the morning, Australian time, that showed all of the players and obviously the team members sitting there hearing the announcement. And I'll put the audio in here because you just see them rise out of their chair and they're so excited and it is such a watershed moment for women's sport and I think it'll be huge for women's sport in Australia. So here is that moment. I can announce the host country of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023, which will be Australia. What a gorgeous sound. I got kind of goosebumpy. I love women's sport. Me I too. just love it. Every time men's sport is problematic, women's sport is just there being wholesome and beautiful and fun and gorgeous. And I love it. And heartwarming. And in a bit of a tone shift, Mish, story number four, Ansel Elgort denies allegations of sexual assault in apology to his accuser. That is from Refinery29. Did you see this story around? Yeah, I recognise Ansel from The Fault in Our Stars. Yeah. That is really the only movie I think I've seen him in. I haven't had a whole number of touch points with his career since then. But when this story came out on Twitter, I was quite upset. I mean, the accuser says that she was 17. This happened days after her 17th birthday. And what really stunned me, Zara, about this allegation is that Ansel Elgort's accuser was his fan. Yeah, it's a really, really weird one. So what happened is Ansel Elgort's accuser, a woman named Gabby, posted a statement kind of written in her notes app on Twitter. And she claimed that the two first met after messaging each other on Snapchat. So she said she messaged him just off Snapchat as a fan, nothing else, and never expected him to reply. And this was two days before her 17th birthday. And then they ended up speaking, they met up, and she said during the sexual encounter that she was sobbing in pain and alleged that Elgort made cruel, inappropriate remarks. She also said that she has PTSD after the encounter, has panic attacks and goes to therapy. She later deleted her post from Twitter altogether. I was pretty interested to hear Elgort's response. He wrote in a statement on Instagram... I cannot claim to understand Gabby's feelings, but her description of events is simply not what happened. I have never and would never assault anyone. He claimed that they had a brief, legal and entirely consensual relationships. Unfortunately, I did not handle the breakup well. I stopped responding to her, which is an immature and cruel thing to do to someone. I know this belated apology does not absolve me of my unacceptable behaviour when I disappeared. As I look back on my attitude, he kept writing, I am disgusted and deeply ashamed of the way I acted. I am truly sorry. I know I must continue to reflect, learn and work to grow in empathy. Can I pick a bone with this statement, which I don't think is particularly good, to be honest. I do not appreciate Ansel Elgort claiming that this was a breakup. I find Mm. that really interesting terminology. I did not handle the breakup well. This wasn't a relationship. This was a sexual encounter, whether it was assault or not is yet to be known by any of us, a sexual encounter with a fan. For him to frame it as a breakup insinuates that there was some kind of romantic relationship and it's some kind of like breakup gone wrong or like miscommunication gone wrong involved. No. The crux of it is this. We don't know what happened, clearly. What we do know is that this is a famous adult who reached out to a young fan after she expressed that she liked him or liked his work or whatever. 
a teenager at the time, had an encounter with her and then never spoke to her again. I just don't appreciate this celebrity who held all the power in that instance, power that clearly has had a lasting impact on her for years after the event, to frame it as a romantic relationship. I think that is softening something that's really quite ugly. I think it's emotionally manipulative because I think what it does is it tries to paint her as quite vindictive because it's love gone awry. And that's not, you're right, it's not this at all. It was a pretty crazy power dynamic that is not very common at all. Like he walked into this room and into this, dare I say, um, I don't even know, I don't want to call it a relationship, but you know, a, a relationship with all of the power as the big star with the fan messaging him. I have to say, beyond anything that she's alleged, I kind of have a problem with that anyway, Mm. if you're going to abuse that power. Mm. It's Uh, the same with Justin Bieber as well this week. Yeah. I just think framing as a breakup's not the case. You did not handle the fallout well. You did not handle the preceding days well. But there was no breakup involved here. You potentially assaulted a fan and to frame it as a romantic relationship is manipulative to me. Here, here. Story number five, Russell Crowe schools Americans in Aussie slang. That is from news.com. Mish, this is your story. Hit me. (sighs) Look, I know this is so random because I don't have many feelings towards Russell Crowe and he's not exactly our demographic of like the (laughs) 20s. G'day, Rusty. I do have a thing for Aussie slang and like American slang. And every time I see it in a headline, I just tend to click in. I'm a sucker for clickbait. Now, what's like shocked me about this, where he did a video educating Americans on Aussie slang is that I am clearly not very well versed in my own country's slang words because I didn't know what the hell some of them meant. I know fuck all about slang. I'm going to give you just a couple that really confused me. I'm going to quiz you because I want to know if I'm just stupid or if Russell Crowe is living on another planet. Can both things be true? Absolutely. In fact, they almost definitely are both true. (laughs) All right, the first one. Zara McDonald. What is a chili bin? Okay, I've actually never heard that one in my life. (laughs) But I'm going to try and do the sort of mental gymnastics to try and get there. So it's a bin that's hot. Chili bin. A hot something. (laughs) And I'm assuming it's not a literal bin. So what is it? It's a hot... (laughs) I don't even know how this is what it supposedly means. It's a hot... um, You're on the wrong. Yeah, right. It's spicy? No, go the complete opposite. It's a cold beer. No, okay, kind no, not really. It's an esky, meaning an ice chest to keep oh. your beers cold. Oh my god, chili. C H I double L Y? Uh yeah. Okay, well you probably could have told me that I've gone down <laughs> the wrong track with the wrong form of chili. You were starting to say hot though. Yeah, because when you chili's say hot, hot, I thought you meant the opposite of chilly, as in frosty. Fair call. Frosty I would love bin, to know maybe. if any listener was listening to that entire exchange knowing full well which side both of us sat on. How infuriating. Why <laughs> do any of you listen to this? Okay. Next one, jandals. Jan- what is a jandal? Could I have the spelling this time? <laughs> J-A-N-D-A-L-S, jandal. Jandal. Like, Felt like I was in a spelling bee then. As if Russell Crowe ever uses these terms. To be, to be clear, typically it's jandals, not jandal. I just so, don't want you to accuse me of like rigging this. So there's no, there's no singular form of jandals. Well, you can say jandal. But typically you refer to them as a pair. It's a pair of <laughs> don't don't tell me they're boobies. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Who says boobies? <laughs> Over the 
<laughs> of like eight. My mum listens to this. I'm not going to go say tits. Breasts. Boobs. <laughs> what? As if Trish McDonald isn't comfortable with the term boobs. We say fuck every fourth word. Yeah, and she always schools me on it. <laughs> Jandals for anyone wondering who hasn't tuned out of this episode. I wouldn't blame you. Tuned out. <laughs> Shut up. Is thongs. Apparently, we don't call them thongs anymore. We've progressed to jandals. It's becoming so clearly obvious to me what they are once you say it. Like sandals, but not. Yeah, and well, uh, does it make sense though? I don't know. What's wrong with sandals? Anyway, okay, the WAPS. (laughs) Spelling. (laughs) The. Yeah. W-O-P-S, two words, the WAPS. (laughs) (laughs) The WAPS, right. (laughs) I'm so glad you don't know um, okay, the warps. Can I have a hint? That's too hard. It's like kind of describing geographical spaces, maybe. The pub? Nah, it means far, far away from civilization. That's whoop whoop. Yeah, I know. I um no one no one ever uses the warps. You know I do. Before this episode goes live, I have a brunch coming up with my dad. I'm gonna try and weave in all three of those slang terms and I'll report back to the listeners whether or not he picked up on any. Just He'd be Jilly Russell Crowe's age. Jilly bin. Yeah, I'll ask my parents too. Sorry, I said Jilly. <laughs> I'm gonna be saying boobies. <laughs> okay. Hey, I think that's all for quick and dirty today. Bye. (laughs) Coming up after the break, why YouTube's biggest female star effectively cancelled herself. But first a word from today's sponsor. YouTube's biggest female star has effectively cancelled herself. Last week, quiet rumblings rippled through Twitter that Jenna Marbles, real name Jenna Marae, had once appeared in a 2011 video dressed in blackface, impersonating rapper Nicki Minaj. The video itself had been privated already, but the screenshots and recordings were living on and were being passed around on the platform. Before the news pierced through the mainstream media news cycle, the 33-year-old published a new video titled A Message. In it, she told the world that she would be exiting YouTube for an indefinite period of time, explaining her blackface skit was inexcusable. She added, it's not okay. I'm incredibly sorry. I don't want to put anything out in the world that's going to hurt anybody, so I need to be done with the channel for now or forever. I don't know. Zara, Jenna Marbles has 20 million subscribers on YouTube. Were you surprised to see her step away from it all? I was a little bit. I wasn't surprised that a YouTube star was acknowledging past mistakes because I think we've been seeing that a lot in the last few weeks and I think it's a very good thing to be seeing that a lot of people, a lot of us have stuff that we're not proud of, things that we've done, things that we've said, but it what didn't surprise me to see someone like Jenna Marbles have to come out and say, look, I did these things and I really fucked up and I'm really teaching myself to be better. I did find myself surprised that she had effectively deplatformed herself. And I kind of found myself in a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a tizzy or kind of like I found myself going back and forth on whether that's actually a good self-aware thing to do, or if you're actually better off holding yourself to account publicly and continuing to rewrite your wrongs and push back against the very things you once did or said or promulgated. Mm. I kind of think I landed on the fact that maybe it's better to deplatform yourself for the short term. Like yeah. I don't want her to deplatform herself forever because she has 20 million subscribers and if she's learning and growing then she could do a lot of good with those subscribers. But I think the more I did start to think, the more 
I'd prefer someone in the short term to kind of essentially cancel themselves Mm. if it gives them time to do the work in the background. Mm. I feel like we're in such a rush at the moment. We're in such a rush and it's mainly a rush to prove ourselves as like, you know, in inverted commas, a good guy making the Black Lives Matter movement Mm. about ourselves and making it about the optics of what it looks like we stand for, that we aren't kind of allowing ourselves time to do the work over a long, long, long period. And I think it can be very damaging if we're doing quick work publicly rather than deep work privately. I agree. I think that's such a good way to put it. I think so many white people, because they feel uncomfortable for being called out for these things, and they should absolutely be called out for them, by the way, I totally stand by that. I think there is a rush and a movement towards unreservedly apologising for something so that your public image is saved as much as possible without actually doing any deep interrogation work into why you made that mistake or why you made that choice in the first place. And I think so many celebrities are far more concerned with preserving their public image and preserving their reputation beyond actually doing work that helps them be a better person. And I really appreciate that Jenna Marbles did this and I think it's a really good idea for her to de-platform herself because hopefully it will give her time and space and silence to be able to figure out what type of content she wants to create. And I think a lot of people when they're called out just want it to be over with as quickly as possible. They don't want to go the long distance to make things better truly and deeply. So I liked the idea as well. Of course, her apology is not ours to accept. We're two white women, so we can never accept that apology. But the movement to step away is a refreshing one and not one that we've seen before, I don't think. As an aside, before we get really deeply into the matter of the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that's happened over the three weeks that you and I have had off on our break, Zara, I, for one, am so surprised, perhaps it's naivety, it probably is, to see so many high-profile celebrities have done blackface. I Maybe it's symptomatic of you and I being 26 and us being born in 1994 and blackface kind of being phased out more. But then a lot of these celebrities, I'm about to reel off a couple of names, have been doing blackface in the 2000s and the 2010s and I, for one, just thought this has not been acceptable for a really long amount of time. To see Jenna Marbles did this in 2011 and to see others like Justin Trudeau and Julianne Hugh and Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Tina Fey, who wrote in a blackface storyline into 30 Rock only 10 years ago, to see that occur and see these names rolled out and kind of blasted publicly has just been so surprising to me. Has it changed how you think about cancel culture? Yes. Yeah. I I don't know about you, but I really do regret some of the things or perhaps not giving caveats when I've spoken about cancel culture I in the past. I think it's the nuance that we've lacked in the past. Yeah, because I think the more reading and research I've done myself into listening and reading black authors in particular and black academics is that there needs to be more accountability going on, right? So like with cancel culture, I think it's so rampant when it comes to matters of race because white people seem to refuse to take these matters seriously until it threatens their bottom line. White people don't want to talk about racism and they don't want to accept or acknowledge their own internal racism until it threatens their career, until it threatens their ability to make money. And I think what I've ignored in the past or what I haven't seen in the past and what my white privilege has cocooned me from is that cancel culture is sometimes the only way to make white people care about race. It is the only way for black people to get their point across because we refuse to listen to them when they do it in more fuzzy ways, more like palatable ways that are comfortable for white people. Yeah, I think it's a comfort thing. And I have to say, credit to some 
some of our uh, passionate, loyal listeners for also bringing this to my attention when we've spoken about cancel culture in the past, because I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think my dismissal of cancel culture in the past has been very flat. I could only see it from the prism of my own experience. And the prism of my own experience is one that's shrouded in white privilege. It's also interesting that we're talking about it as cancel culture, as if these people are cancelled. I think the commentary that I'm seeing online at the moment is really interesting. And it's the idea that white people aren't actually cancelled when they're called out for this shit. They are so very rarely cancelled. It's definitely more just a, a concept of call out culture. That said, I think the, the nuance we lacked was that call-out culture is really important with this stuff to hold people to account. Cancel culture like hashtag Taylor Swift is over party over a weird phone call with Kanye West is toxic and that's mm. the difference and that's what we never actually acknowledged and we should have. I want to add as well, Zara, we are obviously not experts yeah. on racism. You and I are two white women, so we can't possibly be experts on this stuff. But we want to talk about this and keep talking about it because what we are is two women with a platform and we know that the majority of people listening to this right now are white like we are and therefore it's probably a duty of ours as people who want to be good humans to have conversations about race and racism because these conversations have too often been put on the backs of black people and of people of colour and it's not appropriate and it's not acceptable anymore. Just like conversations about sexism can't purely happen between women, men have to come to the table, conversations about racism cannot only be had between people of colour and black people white people have to come to the table and have to kind of like take the baton and help champion these messages as well. Yeah, I have to concur with that completely. Like I don't think we can emphasise enough how little we know about this, which is very shameful and embarrassing. And I hate the idea that we've only really properly been evaluating our existence in this world until recently. And that's, like I said, an incredibly shameful thing to admit, but I think something we need to. And I can't stress enough that we are not the ones who know this perfectly or inside out. But the thing is, we have your ears right now and we have a fuckload of privilege, white privilege. So I think it's our responsibility to use both of those things and that's why we're talking about it. It would be completely irresponsible of us to not. I'm interested with that in mind, Mish, what the responsibility of the white influencer is right now. I think... Oh, it's a really interesting one, right? Because the week that we kind of prepared to go on break, we had already done the Monday episode, it went up, it was Tuesday and Blackout Tuesday took over social media yes. fees in that almost every influencer I follow, almost every person I follow was posting a black tile to their Instagram feed to be part of this show of solidarity for the Black Lives Matter movement. And you and I were sitting in our office. We had just done a conference with our listeners about the media and stuff like that. And we were sitting side by side watching this happen. And it was interesting because we both felt conflicting things. On one hand, we're like, look at this awesome display of solidarity. How awesome is this? It's all over the feeds. And on the other hand, I couldn't shake this feeling that, okay, so are a whole bunch of people going to post a black tile on their Instagram feed dust their hands, get on with their lives and think that the matter of racism, particularly racism in Australia against black and Indigenous people, has nothing to do with them. They are not part of the problem. They are the exception to the rule. And I think that's what I have carried on in the weeks after. That Yes, it might have been a powerful movement for some people on that night to see all these black tiles, but the number of people who just posted a black tile, sometimes even without a message, just a hashtag maybe, sometimes a hashtag that was the wrong one or that was even more damaging to the movement. I don't know. I don't think that was helpful, that movement necessarily. And what I do worry is that a whole bunch of white influencers 
think their job is done and think by posting that on their Instagram feed, they do not need to say another thing or do another thing as far as the Black Lives Matter movement is concerned. I wonder if it's as much as, hey, I think my job is done here, when it could be in reality, I actually don't think it's a job to do. I don't think it's a job of mine to do Mm. because I think I've spent a lot of time thinking about this over the break as two people who have a big responsibility not to stick their heads in the fucking sand that it's so easy for us to assume that it's not about us, like that somehow this exists outside of us, that other people are racist, but I'm the well-meaning one. And I think many of us, actually all of us that are raised in a white supremacist society are racist. And I think we've been so sparing with that word, but I think it probably should be bandied around a little bit more. I know you did it before and we should, we should encourage that. So I guess, I don't know, when it comes to the black tile or blackout Tuesday, I see so many people online thinking that, like you say, that's job done, but in reality, it probably wasn't my job at all. All I wanted to do was tell the world that I stand by this movement. But I don't think that you can stand by this movement without being loud and without doing the work. And like I say, I'm not doing this from my high horse. If there's anything I've learned over the last month, and fuck, I wish it wasn't just the last month, but the reality is it has been. It's that I haven't been good enough and I don't think many of us have. I think we've very much pretended to not be the problem which has actively caused harm. Pretending Mm. you're not the problem as a white person here is causing harm. I don't know another way to phrase this. So I think for me, I I can't listen to a white influencer saying they stand by the movement if they're not doing the work both publicly and privately. And internally, to be honest. I think a lot of us, and this is a phrase that I found from Layla Saad, you and I, Zara, have both been doing Layla's Me and White Supremacy 28-Day Challenge. And we've been doing that over the break and I've found it to be illuminating and eye-opening in the most uncomfortable way possible. She calls it white exceptionalism. And I think I found this concept to be such a blast of cold water to the face because I have been so guilty of white exceptionalism that when conversations about race and Black Lives Matter comes up, I somehow insulate myself from any feelings of discomfort or any kind of proper internal excavation because I think I'm one of the good guys. I automatically think that because I follow certain people on Instagram or I buy certain people's books that I am devoid of any form of racism or racial bias. And that is probably, as you said, one of the most dangerous places to be in. To think that you have nothing to answer for here and to think that this doesn't concern you is a real concern in itself. Because we benefit, you and I, from white privilege every single day of our lives. And if I want to turn my back to that and refuse to point to that, then I'm upholding a system that is dangerous and harmful to so many Australians. And I think that kind of chapter of Layla's work, which by the way, Mish and I could not recommend enough, if you don't know where to start, buy Me and White Supremacy. And I say that as someone who's done the challenge and can recommend that it is deeply uncomfortable work, but deeply important work is this idea that if you are just because you think you're progressive and you read the right books and listen to the right podcasts and buy the right products means that if you're not doing the work, you might be one of the most dangerous kinds of people with white privilege because you think that you don't need to do anything, that you don't need to do any deeper work. 
And I think the crux, the very crux of anti-racism work as a white person is that I'm learning now is to be deeply uncomfortable. And I think the posting of a black tile makes you feel comfortable because you're like, okay, great, I've done my thing. But I think anything that makes you comfortable in the process is probably not helpful or good work. I know in Leila Saad's book, she had this beautiful searing line at the start, which you might remember, Mish, which was about the fact that anti-racism work is full of pain and shame, full of it, and that no one can help you with that. But if you believe in love and a more equal world, not for you, but for other people, then the work is worth it. And she wrote, anti-racism work that does not break the heart open cannot move people toward meaningful change. And I think for anyone who's wondering if they're doing the right thing right now, that quote really spoke to me because it's like, well, is this breaking my heart open and making me feel deeply uncomfortable and making me analyse the decisions that I've made and the things that I've said in the past? Because if your answer is no, then it's probably not meaningful work. One example of white privilege that I was really uncomfortable with and that I've really been grappling with and tackling over the break, Zara, was I was watching a video from Liz Cambridge. She went on her Instagram stories and she was speaking very candidly about her experiences of racism in Australia and how she lives in an affluent Melbourne suburb and she has been kind of questioned by the police before as to why she's in this Melbourne suburb and what she's doing and why she's near that house or driving that car. And she said people really can't believe that a black woman would be living in Turak. And that's so novel to white people that a black person could live in this very rich suburb. And it got me thinking about my own experiences of property, which is very limited because I rent. And I had always thought leading up to the last month or so that it was such a pat on the back or such a cool thing that every time Mitch and I have applied to a rental property, we've been approved. That has always been like a badge of weird fucking honour for me where I'm like, oh, wow, we must just be really great candidates to apply for these rental properties. upstanding citizens. Yeah, like we must write a really good application. We must be like solid and people trust us and how great's that? And I realise the more I think about it, Mitch and I are both white. We have always applied for rental applications to white real estate agents and we have always been approved. And at every open house I've been at, there have always also been people of colour And looking back, I wonder, and it has been very confronting to accept the reality that I probably didn't have a whole bunch to do with getting these rental applications approved. Perhaps my white skin afforded me a level of trust with white real estate agents that they could not or would not afford to people of colour. And that's really uncomfortable, but I think those types of things happen every single day and we are blinded to it and we give ourselves a pat on the back for the promotion or a pat on the back for getting the job interview when we have an Anglo-Saxon name without realising that a whole bunch of people of colour, particularly black people, weren't given that first foot in the door that we were given. There's an element of stupidity here, isn't there? Like you feel so fucking stupid for being like, I've been the centre of this entire world my whole life and so I've been completely blinded to the most obvious examples that exist of my white privilege and that's an like I keep coming back to, that's an embarrassing, shameful thing to admit and I think that's why a lot of people, us included, didn't want to admit it to ourselves for such a long period of time but I think there's no more important time to start admitting those tiny tidbits to yourself. And they're not tiny, they're quite big, but those examples to ourselves. I'm wondering now, I mean, we're talking about this after a three-week break where our social media feeds have pretty much gone back to normal. And I wonder how we move forward with this, like how we keep it alive. And I think for me, one undercurrent of a conversation like this is white people saying, well, I don't know what to say because every time I say something, it seems like the wrong thing. Or I don't know what to say because I don't want to offend anyone. Or I don't want to say because I don't want it to say anything unhelpful. Read. And I know that sounds like the most obvious thing to do. And I know I've seen it bandied around this entire kind of last month or so. But if you don't know what to say, you can change that. 
by educating yourself. I cannot stress this enough. So many conversations are riddled with white people distracting the conversation by saying they don't know how to have the conversation. If you read anti-racism work, the more you understand what to say, right? Like Mm. there is a direct consequence or a good consequence from doing the work. Reading can empower you in a weird way because it will make you deeply uncomfortable. So don't cower and don't be a coward. I think it's cowardly for us as white people who have so much privilege and have benefited from it for the last 25 years to not do that work. It's our responsibility. And I think the other thing is, Mish, we probably will keep fucking up and saying the wrong things. Mm. Like that's a reality. We might have said something wrong this through this segment. But I think it's our responsibility when we fuck up to apologise, to acknowledge it and to get up and keep moving and keep pushing because the fear we feel as white people to say the wrong thing about not knowing what to do and what to say is the price for living the life that we do and of having the privilege that we have. And that price is about 0.00001% of the price black people and people of colour pay for being themselves. Absolutely. I also think as well, it's really helpful to harness however you're feeling. If you're a woman or if you are a man potentially who's listening to this, who has experienced some form of marginalization across your life, say you are not cisgendered, say you are not able-bodied, or say you are not heterosexual. If you have experienced any form of marginalization in your life, harness that. I, for months, was so confused and I'll admit a little bit frustrated when I saw a whole bunch of people call out Taylor Swift for not being vocal enough on matters of Black Lives Matter while not calling out Ryan Gosling or Ed Sheeran or her male counterparts who are white. And for so long, I felt like I was banging my head against a wall going, why do we expect more of women than we do of men? Shouldn't we ask them equally? Shouldn't any celebrity, man or woman, be called out to be more vocal on this? Why is it so often women? But the more I learn, the more I realise that women can play an important part here. If you're a white woman, this is not your fight to win. That's just like white saviorism in a nutshell. Oh, yeah, not your fight to yell the loudest. It's not your fight to yell the loudest, but you can play a really helpful role and a really important role here. Because if you are a woman, you understand what it feels like to have an invisible system be geared against you. You know what it's like to be sneered at or catcalled on the street. You know what it's like to be called bossy in work meetings when your male counterparts aren't, to be grabbed in nightclubs when you don't want to be to potentially even be assaulted you know the invisible pull of sexism and how it affects your life every single day and how it shapes your experience of the world you might never understand racism I don't think I'll ever fully understand the experience of racism because I'm white exactly but I can apply my experience of misogyny and sexism to form my framework to approaching the world and that means that I can be a more compassionate, noisy, loud, empathetic human to black women and black men everywhere. And I think what white women have that white men don't is an understanding of those invisible systems that might work against you. Yeah. And as Mish says, harness them to do the work. I do want to finish with one quote from Leila Saad. If you haven't done her white supremacy workbook please do it it's incredible I really highly recommend it it's changed my view on a lot of things this is a quote that we'll leave you with here is a radical idea that I would like you to understand white silence is violence it actively protects the system it says I'm okay with the way things are because they do not negatively affect me and because I enjoy the benefits I receive with white privilege and that's all we have time for Mish Gosh, big first episode back. (laughs) But for those uh, who have read our book, Girl, Woman, Other for Book Club, come hang with us. Please come hang with us. In our book club Facebook group, we are at Shameless Podcast Book Club. 
We will be releasing an episode on Saturday, our very first book club episode. Yes, and I am so excited. We'll be joined by our wonderful producer, Annabelle Lee, who you may have heard from over the break. She was doing some wonderful bonus episodes and we cannot wait to sit down and have a bit of a roundtable discussion on the book of the month. And we want it to be particularly roundtable. So if you've read the book... We want your thoughts. We want you to email us a voice note, ideally, to hotline at shamelessmediaco.com and tell us maybe your favourite storyline, your favourite character, a theme that you particularly enjoyed, a thought that you've been having that you think we might not have picked up on. Please, please, please share your thoughts. We would love to have you on the show and we would love you to help spark some ideas and conversation starters for our roundtable discussion. So that is hotline at shamelessmediaco.com. Hope to hear from you soon. We'll be back in your ears on Thursday. Woohoo! Bye, guys! Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.